five of our series on the chosen. This is like beyond the halfway part because there's, uh, there's eight episodes in season one of the chosen. And so this campaign where, you know, those, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're in the midst of something where we line up our sermons with our small groups, with daily devotionals. And, uh, and so we've been working our way through. Um, there's only, after this, there's only three episodes left. But I will say, I mean, I love all the episodes, but three really good ones are coming up. I mean, they're all good, but three really. Next week is a real focus on healing. And, uh, and so we're going to be talking about healing in the kingdom of God and, and the ministry of Jesus. So listen, if you've got someone in your life who needs a miraculous healing touch from God, bring them. Because we're going we're gonna to spend some time praying for the sick and we're going to see, see what God's going to do. If you need a, a physical touch from God, um, next week is going to be a time we're going to really create some space for God to move. Um, but, uh, but today we're talking about the first miracle that Jesus performed which is uh, at the wedding in Cana where he turned water into wine. Our, our theme verse is Isaiah 43, verse 1. This is our theme verse for the whole series. And, uh, and Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, This is what the Lord says, who cre- he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. And so every, every sermon we start with that verse, it'd be a really good verse to memorize, would encourage you to, to memorize, check it out, it's a good one to have tucked away. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, the account of verse, verses 1 to 11, the account of Jesus turning water into wine. But what's interesting is, is this miracle is only recorded in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is a little bit different from some of the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke were kind of more written to a Jewish audience. So it's a real focus on showing that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And so that's why you'll see like Matthew's gospel starts with the genealogy, the this person begat this person who begat this person who begat this person, leading up to Jesus. Because the Jewish mind would be, you know, that'd be a big deal to, to someone who is coming from that background. John doesn't get into that. Not because it's not important, but he has a little bit of a different focus. John goes kind of big picture. John starts his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John isn't like, all right, listen, uh, I'm not going to show you that, that he's the seed of Abraham, that he's a descendant of Boaz, that he's the son of David, all that matters. But let's skip over that and get right to the, the incredible reality that the Messiah is more than the Jewish people even expected him to be. The Messiah is God in the flesh, right? That the Messiah is God with us, God among, amongst us. And so he goes right to the deity of Jesus. And then on top of this, this kind of heavy theology that he lays down, he then goes into the narrative about Jesus being at a wedding, turning water into wine. And it's like, wait, okay, so you say he's God in the flesh, and then he just basically kind of makes a party a little bit better. I mean, that, that doesn't seem to really kind of totally flow. But, but we'll get into, I think, why it's really connected and why it really matters. Something else that you need to be aware of as we go into this story is that, is that prior to this miracle, Jesus lived in obscurity, right? He was about 30 years old. And he was a tradesman. He was from Nazareth, which was a tiny little, you know, backcountry, you know, out-of-the-way place. And so he was just a tradesman who was taking care of his, his mother, who was a widow. 
And, uh, and so once he started this miracle, then word's going to spread because this was, this was an oral society, which meant they told stories. And so word was going to spread really, really fast and things were going to change. So let's start right at verse 1. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So we've got we to know a little bit of the background here to get what's going on. Uh, a wedding at this time was a really big event. I mean, it's a big event now, right? But then it was, a wedding could last like three days. Like a really big wedding could last like a week. I mean, they just kind of, it was, it was a highlight of the year. It was a really big deal. Cana is probably, you know, close to Nazareth. They're not exactly sure where Cana was, but probably was like another little tiny community next to Nazareth. So it's possible that like people didn't really travel around all that much. So you kind of, you know, were born in a little community and you probably died in that little community. So it's possible that like everybody that the, the bride and groom knew, they were at this wedding. I mean, it was like the whole town probably showed up, and maybe it was like 80, 90, 100 people that were, that were there. And, and so it was just, a, I mean, it was fun. It was like three days of eating and dancing and drinking and partying. It was a good time, and it was a really big deal to the groom. It actually, it was very significant, not just because he was about to get married, but it marked the end of what was known as the betrothal period which is different than like our engagement. It was kind of more binding. And the betrothal period would last a year. And, uh, and that's where Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed to each other when Jesus came on the scene. And, you know, all that happened that we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks as we get ready for Christmas, which is hard to believe. We're right there. But it was a big deal to the groom because during that year, he had to prove his worth. He had to show that he had what it takes to take care of his bride. To start this family. So he had to make sure that he had a trade, that he was gainfully employed. He had to secure housing, maybe built a little house or, you know, a little something where they could live. And part of that was the groom and his family had to provide for this giant wedding, this giant feast. And so if there were problems, if like the groom didn't have a job, didn't have a house, and the party didn't go well, well, that was going to be an issue, right? Because if the wine runs out, that means that the husband, the groom, he's not prepared. You know, he, he doesn't have what it takes to provide for his family. It's going to be, again, everybody's there in the small little community. He's never going to live that down. I mean, this is something that's going to follow him. It, it was a really big deal. And so Mary was probably, you know, you can maybe surmise that she was a close friend of the groom's family because she knew what was going on behind the scenes. And, uh, and so she finds out that the wine is run out. She comes to Jesus, verse 4, and uh, Jesus says, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. And so you see that, you're like, Whoa, whoa, Jesus, wait a minute. This is your mom you're talking to. Like, what? Actually, you know what? The Greek is a little bit more ambiguous. It's quite possible that woman was like a term of endearment that he used. It might, probably wasn't quite as harsh as, as it sounds to our ears. But what he said is, my time has not yet come. And I think the time that he was talking about was the hour of his death, that he was thinking about the cross. Because 
what's going to happen? Jesus for 30 years. I mean, he was a kid. He was, you know, growing up. He was a teenager. His, you know, Joseph died at some point. We don't know when, but he's not in the, on the scene. And, and so he's taking care of his mother, who's a widow. All of that is about to change. And I almost think like in a way, Jesus is saying to Mary, like, listen, if I do this, things are, gonna be, things are never going to be the same. We're going to set off a chain event. We're going to set off a series of events that's going to culminate in my death. And so our, little, our family, our little family is about to change uh, uh, irrevocably. And things will never be the same. My hour has not yet come. So let me read the, the rest of the story here. And then we'll, i got a couple of points that I want to make that I, that I hope are, are helpful. Um, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believe in him. So let me make a couple of, again, simple points to kind of walk us through this. First, why would Jesus choose this miracle to usher in the beginning of his public ministry, right? This is a really big deal. He's about, it's on, right? Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, is about to go public. Wouldn't it make more sense to, like, heal a blind guy, right? Or maybe, like, raise somebody from the dead or do something on a larger scale. You know, feed the, the multitudes, the 5,000. Do something like that. But, but his very first miracle was to help out a, a bridegroom and a family and to keep the party going, but I think it was very intentional. I think his first miracle shows us that he is the source of our joy. That that was the purpose of that first miracle. Because what is the effect of this miracle on the wedding guests? Right? Very simply, the party can keep going. Right? If the wine had run out, everybody goes home and everybody's grumbling and everybody's like, that groom, he's, he doesn't have what it takes. He's not going to make it. But the party now was continuing. That meant more dancing, more eating, more fun. His first miracle is to keep the joy flowing. And over and over throughout all the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, we see that wine is a metaphor. And wine is a metaphor of the joy and abundance that is found in the kingdom of God. And so I think that Jesus' first miracle is to remind us joy comes from the Lord. That's where we get joy. It says this, Psalm 104, 15. God makes wine that gladdens the human heart. And then Amos 9, 13 to 14 is talking about what's going to happen when God sets up his kingdom. And it says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. So the abundance, the provision, the joy in the kingdom of God is going to be such 
that the mountains are going to be dripping with wine, right? That's the, that's the metaphorical picture of the kingdom of God. Now, this is not a commercial for you to take your next vacation in Napa Valley. That's not what this is all about. But it's to remind us that joy is really important. Right? We don't think about joy that much, but we need it. We need it. And listen, let's be honest. There's not a lot of joy flowing in our culture these days. I would not say that joy is a mark of people living in the 21st century here, you know, especially in the U.S. That's not something that you see. You don't see a lot of joy when you're commuting to work in the morning. You don't see a lot of joy when you see, you know, your coworkers on Monday. You know, there's just not a lot of joy. But, but like, we need joy. Like, think about the best memories that you have. Right? I bet every single one of us, if we were to go through, like, what are your best memories? It has something, it's something that you experience where, like, the joy quotient was, like, super high. So maybe you think about, remember when you first fell in love? Maybe you're in high school. I don't know. Maybe if you were, like, precocious junior high school. I don't know. But, but uh, you know, when you, you're with your boyfriend, you're with your girlfriend, and then you're walking home, and it's like that Katrina and the Wave song. I'm walking on sunshine. You're just like three inches above the ground because you're so overwhelmed that like you have these feelings that you never felt anything like this, and they're reciprocated. That's awesome. Or the joy that you felt when you walked up onto that stage to receive your degree. Maybe you were the first person in your family to go to college. You know, you, you worked hard and you sacrificed and you studied. And it was like such an accomplishment. There was so much joy in that. Or maybe then you went and you got your first job. You know, that feeling of like, all right, I'm a, I'm a grown-up now. And, and so maybe you had a, had a desk, your own desk, and there was like a placard with your name on it. Or you got your own truck or whatever it was. And you're like, hey, I'm, I got a grown-up job now. What about when you got married? And if you're, you know, you guys, you're looking down, the, the music changes, and, uh, and you see your bride coming down the aisle, the joy that you felt in that moment, or the joy that the bride felt seeing her, her husband, her groom waiting for her. What about the joy of your first kid? Talk about joyapalooza. I mean, that's the level of joy. Like when you, you know, all your kids, but something like that first one, you're just like, man, this is amazing. Or the joy when you, maybe when you bought a house. Now, nowadays with housing prices, that would be more of a miracle than just the joy. But I remember when we for, bought our first house, it was 1998, our only house, actually. What am I saying? Our first house. Maybe that was prophetic. I don't know. But uh, we got one house. That's it. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, like when you, you go through the closing and you're hoping that nothing goes wrong and then moving day comes and it's all these boxes. I didn't have, you know, we didn't have a moving company. We just had friends. And so we, you know, move in. And, uh, and I remember, though, like, you know, boxes everywhere. Nothing was set. But I set up the living room. You know, I had the couch where, you know, where I wanted it to be and had the TV and connected the TV to cable. You guys remember cable? Cable was a thing like a while ago. There was this thing called cable. And I remember it was probably like 9, 9.30 at night and Norma had gone to sleep and I sat down uh, to watch the Mets game. Now, the Mets have not, they have not brought me a lot of joy in my life, to be honest. I don't remember if they won, but signs point to they didn't. I mean, that would just kind of be the pattern. But, uh, but I just remember that, like, joyful feeling of, like, this is my house. And I got, you know, I'm sitting here watching the Mets lose another game. Blow, you know, Jesse Ross, who was their closer at the time, blowing another save. But whatever, you know, the, we, have those, we have those moments. But the thing is, all of those joyful moments, as wonderful as they are, and not to take anything away from any of them, they were temporary. They didn't last, right? I mean, that, uh, you know... 
that first love that you had in your life, you ended up breaking each other's hearts, right? There was an ugly breakup that happened somewhere, you know, after that. Maybe there's a couple of you who married your high school sweetheart, but not usually. That's not usually how it goes. Uh, that, that job that you got, well, you're thankful for the job, but there's a lot of headaches that come with that job. There's a lot of stress that comes with that job. Your, your marriage, you know, maybe things went really bad and you're no longer married now. Or, or even if it's the healthiest of marriages, there's dark days, there's hard times, there's tears that are in any, in any marriage. Your children might, you know, they... they broke your heart and, and were, have been frustrating and challenging in some ways. That house, you know, that you have and you look at the tax bill every now and then and there's something, you know, breaks and you got to fix it. You know what? It's, uh, it's all temporary. But what the Bible lets us know that what is available to us is abundant, persistent, never-ending joy that comes directly from God. That's what's available to us. That God is this, is this fount of joy. This self-replenishing source of joy. And so when God saved us, when he created us and he saved us and he redeemed us, it wasn't just so that he could have us be his little minions who run around doing his bidding. It was so that he could share his joy with us. That we could tap into that joy. And the Bible says that in a million different ways. Isaiah 35.10 those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isn't that great? What this says is, listen, your destiny, where God is leading you, is like, you know, you think you're pursuing joy and gladness, but actually there's going to come a moment, there's going to come a time where joy and gladness will overtake and overwhelm you. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your soul, your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is the end result of your faith? It is, this, it is this inexpressible and glorious joy that God wants to fill your life with. That's the destiny that's awaiting you. That's what you can look forward to. Somebody can give me an amen for that because it's worth an amen. That's, that's, and I think that's why Jesus turned water into wine to remind us of this. Remember the parable of the talents that Jesus told in Matthew 25? He told this parable, this guy, he gave money to a bunch of people and some people invested it. One person hid it in the ground. He got in trouble. But what, what in the parable, what's said to the people who were faithful to what they were given is found in verse 23. His master said to, to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See, that's God's heart for each and every one of us. That we would enter into his joy. God, God's joy is abundant. God's joy is self-replenishing. It is a self-replenishing fountain of joy. It never wears out. It never gets quenched. God never has a bad day. And the end result of our connection with him is that we get to share that joy. That's why Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. And so what it means for us is that we need to remember this. Don't settle for cheap wine. 
Don't try to find joy in the cheap one, the ripple or whatever it is. I don't know. But, but what this means for us, right, is that we need to understand that anything that we look to, to fill that ultimate, that hunger that you have, you have a hunger in your heart for joy. You've been on a quest for joy your whole life. The reason you have that hunger, the reason oftentimes you're dissatisfied is because there's something in you that says there's more, there's more. I was made for more. You were made for more. And that more is him. The more is the joy, the connection that we get from him. And it's not minimizing the joyful experiences that we have. You know, I mean, embrace them, celebrate them. The joy that you get from your job, your marriage, your kids, your accomplishment, it's all a gift from him. Right? He's not asking us to give up things that bring us joy. Because even like in this wedding, you know, the, the, before the wine ran out, it was probably pretty good wine. Right? I mean, they wouldn't have kept drinking it if it was bad wine. It's just that God wants to remind us that the best wine is yet to come. That the best wine is from Him. Right? That if we come to Him, that, that we will be able to share in the joy of our Master. That God wants to say to you this morning... I am the, found, I am the fountain, the foundation of all joy. And my joy will never run out. And I want to share it with you. And once we're connected to him, see, the way it's supposed to work is that we find that we're tapping into that joy more and more as we live our life, knowing that eventually we're, we're going to be overwhelmed and overtaken by joy. And so let me show you the clip here from, uh, from the show and, uh, and it just, it shows Jesus turning the water into wine. But what I did, if you'll notice, I, I let it linger for a little bit uh, on the, the party and the celebration. And just think about how it represents the joy of the kingdom of God that we're invited to. Because I just found that really beautiful. Let's check out this clip. Hey, we got the screen working. Everyone, please step outside. Just for a moment, Thomas. Draw some out and serve it to the master of the banquet.
About time. The latter vintage, sir. To serve the best wine I have ever tasted. Let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture. So I just wanted to let that linger a little bit because it just reminds me, well, like it says in the Bible, that the kingdom of God is peace, joy, and love in the Holy Spirit. And I think this is so important for us, especially now, to just be reminded of that God is the fountain of joy because there are so many people who have this idea and they think like, well, I'd be a Christian except I like to have fun. You know, and, and it's like, the way that it seems to work is that if something's really fun, God calls that sin. And if something's really boring, God calls that good and holy. And so I, you know, I don't think I'm very interested, but, but that is a lie. That is not true. Let me just ask, for if that were true, then, I mean, for all the people who were out like, I'm just going to go and I'm going to have fun in the world, I'm going to enjoy, where's the joy? Right? Where, where is the joy? We don't, we don't see it. That God is inviting us. He's not asking us to give up our joy. He's saying replace the cheap wine with the best wine imaginable. And so the other point that I want to make, and I'll make this quick and then we'll do communion. Is listen, I just, just keeping it real. I know that some of you are probably hearing this and like, well, Phil, that sounds great. And maybe someday, like when I die... I'll have some joy, but where's the joy in my life right now? I'm sure that there are some people right now, you're like, listen, my life is not being described by right now it's mountains that are dripping with wine. I'm in the valley. I've been in the valley for a while, and I've been trusting God, and I've been trying to obey God, and I've been faithful, and I just, but where's the wine, right? Where's the wine in my marriage? 
Where's the wine in my family? Where's the wine in my emotions? Where's, like, life is just, I just feel like I'm just existing. I'm not really living. Where is the wine? I think maybe for some of you, it's hard to hear a message like this because you're like, well, that's great, but that hasn't been my experience. So how do we come into the joy and the wine and the life that God has for us? If we're going to live in fullness of joy, we need to trust and obey. Because remember what Jesus, what Mary rather, said to the servants at the wedding. She said, do whatever he tells you to do. And so let me just read this one more time here, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone uh, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. So this was a process, okay? Because there were six heavy stone jars. And each jar held 30 gallons of water. And so what they, I don't think they could just kind of take the jars of water and go to the, uh, the well and fill them up and carry them back because the water alone, 30 gallons of water, is 250 pounds. The internet told me that, okay? Um, and so then you add another like 100 pounds or maybe even more for the jars. So what they had to do, they had to 180 gallons of water. They had to walk over to the well, fill up the water, you know, fill up the bucket, bring it back to the jar, put it in, and then go and do that again, and then back, and then back and forth, and back and forth. And maybe they had like a fireman's brigade or something to speed it up. But it was a process. It was a process of, of having to go. Now, what they needed was wine, but what they're dealing with is water. What they're dealing with is this laborious process back and forth. And maybe you might feel in your life you need wine, but why is it that you're dealing with water? Why is it? Where is the wine, God? Where is it? When, when am I going to see your promises? When are you going to bring your joy? When are the mountains going to be dripping with wine? And so they're going back and forth. And we need to understand, as we talk about the goal and we understand what's available to us, we all go through seasons where rather than living on the mountains dripping with wine, we're in the valley and it is dry and there is no wine to be found. We need to understand, we need to trust the process of what God is doing. Whatever Jesus says, we need to obey. Whatever he says, and understand it's going to be a process. Understand that what God is trying to do in us is not just give us the wine, because it would have been really easy, right? It would have been a lot easier on the servants if they took the buckets and they went to the, to the well and out came the wine. Then they would have been like, this is amazing, this is awesome, but that's not how it worked. I mean, even when they were all done, they had 180 gallons, the jars were full, it was still water. It was still water, and I think that what happens in our life, my experience, and I know many of you would say the same thing, that, what, that at some point as we're trusting God, as we're obeying, as we're trying to be faithful in the valley, not just on the mountaintops, we're faithful in the valley, at some point Jesus will say, you passed the test. And listen, the Bible makes it very clear that we go through tests because God is trying, he's not only trying to provide for us, he's trying to grow us. And the way that we grow is in a struggle, right? And ultimately what God wants to do is he wants your jar to be even bigger so you can contain more wine. And the, oh, I, listen, I wish that our jars could get bigger sitting on a beach somewhere in Jamaica. It has not been my experience that that's how I get a bigger jar. 
That's maybe how I get a, I get a little, I, I, never, I was going to say borderline inappropriate. I won't say that. Um, but that, that's not how it works. We got to go through, because as we, as we go through this, as we, as we get the water and we go back and forth and we, do, and we trust God at some point. Now, when, when the water was turned into wine, we don't know exactly. The depiction in the show was that while it was in the jars, Jesus turned it into, into, into wine. But actually what it says in the text is draw water from the jar. So maybe it was still water. And so when did it turn into wine? As they drew, you know, maybe when Jesus, you know, before they drew anything out. Maybe as they were drawing, drawing it out. Maybe as they drew it out and they started taking some steps. Maybe as they handed it to the master of the banquet. We don't know at which step it turned into wine. But what we do know is that it turned into wine. And what I want to say to you this morning is that if you feel like you, you need wine in your life, you need joy, you want everything that we're talking about and you're looking to Jesus, but you feel like you're in the desert and you're just dealing with water when you need wine, I want to tell you, just continue to trust him. Continue to trust him. Know that he loves you. Know that he's for you. Know that he's going to make a way for you. It says this in Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the promise, right? Eternal pleasure, filled with joy in his presence. The way that we get there, you have made known to us the path of life. So keep drawing water. Keep trusting him. Keep your eyes on him. And remember this promise in Hebrews 10.23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. I want to tell you, wine is coming. Joy is coming. That, that the, the, the life that we're called to, there will be a moment, there will be a time when you see Jesus face to face and you will be overcome and overwhelmed by joy. But I believe that as we're on that journey, that we will begin to experience more and more of God's joy in our life. Joy that can sustain us through tears. Joys that can sustain us through challenges and difficulties. That we will find the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we enjoy all the good things that God has given us. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. But we understand He is the ultimate source of joy. He is the foundation that we stand on. Other joys, they come and go and we thank God for them. But if we want eternal joy and eternal pleasure, it comes from Him and Him alone. So no more cheap wine. All right. Let's, uh, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. And what made me think that it might be kind of cool to take communion coming out of this um, was that scene where, where Jesus, where he reaches his hand into the water that's, that turned into wine, and, is, and you see like the wine dripping off of his hand? Because it just made me think, listen, the only way any of this is possible is because remember when Jesus said to his mother, my hour has not yet come, the hour came, and Jesus was faithful, and it wasn't wine that was dripping off of his hand, it was his blood, his blood that was poured out for us. And that's how we know, like, listen, if you're in the valley and you're struggling and you're like, where's the joy? Listen, we look to Jesus. We know that he's faithful. We know that he loved us enough. He loved us to the uttermost, the Bible says. He went to the cross for us so that his life, his joy, his mercy can flow. And so trust him. He's faithful. And so let's just pray right now and, and let's just see what God wants to do here in this moment.
But Lord God, you know our situations. God, you know that some of us right now, maybe we feel like we're on the mountains and they're dripping with wine. And God, we thank you for that. And maybe there are others who feel like they're, they're drawing water. That they're just going back and forth and back and forth and getting the water and where's the wine? And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself right now. That you would pour out hope. That you would pour out encouragement. That you would pour out grace. And if there's anyone here right now who has not yet trusted you as their Savior, I pray that, Lord, that you would speak to them right now. And you would just let them know that you love them. You're for them. You have forgiveness. You have mercy. You have joy for them. They've just been drinking the wrong wine. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would you'd open up their heart right now. Give them faith to believe you for their salvation. So if you're ready to do that, I, let, me just, let me just lead you in a prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. God, there's not a lot of wine. There's not a lot of joy in my life. And I believe that you're the source of joy. That you're the source of life. And so I believe that you died on the cross in my place. And that you rose from the dead and that you're here now. And I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. From here on out, Lord, I want to follow you. You're the Lord of my life. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your joy. Let me drink your wine, God. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer this morning. Okay, and on the back of your connection card, you can check off that you decided to become a follower of Jesus. I'll send you some stuff in the mail this week. But Lord, God, we just thank you for your, your presence here. And Lord, God, we, we, we just are aware of how much, Lord, our being able to be connected to your joy, how much it costs you. And Lord, we thank you, God, that you did not shrink back from your hour, that you embraced it. Lord, you set your face like flint towards Jerusalem with a joy set before you you endured the cross. And the joy was us being able to be connected to you. So Lord, we thank you that you have opened up a pathway for us to experience your life and your joy. So Lord, come right now and I pray that you just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your life. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord's body broken for us together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord's blood poured out for us together. We love you, Jesus. Let your joy flow in our lives, God. We look to you. 
Lord, we say yes to your joy. We say yes to your life. All our fountains are in you, O oh God, because you are the eternal fountain. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have some people from the prayer team. They're going to be right over here. They would love to pray for you. If, listen, if you're going through it, if you're in the valley right now, let somebody pray for you that maybe you'd even experience a touch of God's joy. Whatever you need prayer for, anything physical, emotional, whatever it is, uh, whatever your need is, there's something that happens when, when two or three people gather together that doesn't happen otherwise. And so avail yourself of uh, an opportunity uh, for prayer ministry. I'm going to be starting the growth track in a few minutes in the Team Vineyard Room. Don't forget, next week is going to be a real focus on healing. And so let's come with some sick people and some faith, expecting to see God do some cool stuff. All right? God bless you guys. Have a great week.